Welcome to Legacy Sport Live, stories of the people who are shaping the conversation at the intersection of sport, business and purpose. I'm Neil Duffy, co-author of our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Today I'm talking to Scott Jenkins. Scott is the board chair of the Green Sports Alliance and is also the former general manager at the world-class Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta the world's first league platinum football stadium. Scott shares with us both the success of the Green Sports Alliance in driving the climate change message and the various ways in which the Mercedes-Benz Stadium has raised the bar on sustainability. So Scott, great um, to be with you today. Um, I've always uh, looked up to you as one of the thought leaders in the industry and one of the people that uh, got purpose really early on. Um, so thanks for sharing your time with us. Um, I thought it'd be really interesting uh, just to start at the beginning of your career, because um, I, I think you were there right at the beginning when the greening of sports started to uh, uh, take seed and, and, and uh, have its birth almost, weren't you, when you were at the Philadelphia Eagles? Yeah, I would say that's where it started for me, um, where I knew why I was doing it and starting to define what I was doing. Um, you know, and, and before that, there's obviously things that lead one to that path, um, whether it's you know, what I did in school and what I did in some of my early jobs. But in sport, when I went to Philadelphia in 2003 and opened up the financial field for the Eagles, um, I was fortunate to work with Christina and Jeffrey Lurie, who own the Eagles. And um, in year two of the building in 2004, they wanted to create a sustainability program. Um, it was branded Go Green. Um, and that was the first chance where I could kind of sit back and say, boy, what does it mean for a sports team to operate in a sustainable way? And how do we use the platform of sports to advance sustainability? So uh, fortunate to have been able to be involved since 2004. And here we are in 2020, 16 years later, and, and a lot has happened and a lot has evolved. That's for sure. So, so take us back before the Eagles then. So what, what kind of, uh, what was it that sparked your interest in this, in this space? And I mean, did you train, did you train in, in sustainability at that stage or how, how did, what kind of qualified you to be helping to put that plan together? <laughs> Probably nothing that qualified me, <laughs> but, but inquisitive and responsible yeah, might yeah. be the two things. And, and part of that is in school, I studied construction administration at the university of Wisconsin. And uh, so science-based, um, technical-based, and, and had a few environmental studies classes. Um, and so learned, you know, some principles of science back then. Um, I can't say I was tuned into climate change back then, but just uh, an appreciation for the natural world and a, a sense that we were responsible to leave the place a little better than we found it. Um, and, you know, being a distance runner and track and cross country runner, I always loved being outside. I grew up along the shore of Lake Michigan and Wisconsin, and I just always enjoyed nature. Um, and, and so I uh, had an appreciation for that and a little bit of awareness of how people impact the planet. Um, and then when I went to work, um, I started managing a, a, a resident uh, dormitory at the University of Wisconsin and always loved to help people uh, and be around people. Uh, and then started working in, in the real estate industry, managing commercial real estate properties. So um, the foundation was probably just appreciation for nature and, and some awareness of science. Um, and then taking that into the business world, how do we impact our environment? Right. Um, you know, really small scale, but then in, in a broader sense. And, and just being responsible to operate efficiently was important to me. 
um, you know, whether that was recycling or, or man managing water, managing energy, um, it was more probably financially driven than anything, but there was a connection to there's impacts that aren't being measured here. Um, and so um, I worked in state government for a number of years, managing commercial real estate properties, and then was able to get into the sports world um, where I started to make this connection and, and realized there's an opportunity for sports to be a leader and to influence their fans. So um, Very cool. yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Very cool. And, and what do you think was the motivation for the Luries at the time to even be thinking of something like this? Um, I think it's enlightened leadership just people that are aware and, and are purpose-driven. Um, they know they, they, have, they can have a positive impact on, on the things around them. And when you own a professional sports team and you have a, a brand like the Philadelphia Eagles, you've got a big audience. Um, and I think with that opportunity uh, of, of having that kind of successful business and that kind of social and cultural influence, I, I think enlightened leadership, enlightened leadership says, look, I have a responsibility to do something positive and, and, and the environment is one place for us, for them to get involved, to make a difference. Right. And there's a lovely story about the, the Eagles and the toilet paper or the, I don't know what you, <laughs> tissue paper. <laughs> yes. And I was involved in that directly. <laughs> uh, we opened up the stadium and, and put, put paper in, in the, in the, uh, you know, dispensers in the restrooms and then uh, found out that, lo and behold, the, the source of the paper was coming from Boreal Forest, which is Eagle Habitat. And it wasn't long after we discovered that that we went out for an RFP and found another source uh, of uh, a vendor to provide us paper. And we switched everything out, like in year two or three of the building. So, um, and then I, I moved to Seattle and, and went through almost the same thing there and found out where our paper was coming from. And, and found a local source of 100% post-consumer recycled fiber produced by a woman-owned business that was local. And so the whole procurement thing of, and, and you know, digging, reaching into the supply chain and, and, and understanding where, where stuff comes from and the impacts it has and making choices that uh, hopefully can move the needle. Yeah. So it would have, kind of would have been a bit of an oomph if uh, the Eagles had been supporting the destruction of Eagle Habitat. Exactly. And yeah. that was the irony of it. Yeah. And, you know, business, business as usual tends to uh, leave us to not ask where stuff's coming from and not be aware. Um, and then I think when you, when you use an environmental lens, your perspective broadens quite a bit. And, and when you start to realize um, your purchasing decisions can have, you know, far reaching impacts, um, neg both negatively and positively, then you start to use that uh, decision making process to change things for, for good. Right. Right. So you moved to Seattle. That was a good decision. Um, and uh, things really just ramped up from then on, didn't they? Yeah, they did. You know, that, the spark that uh, started in Philadelphia with the Go Green program um, really uh, played a big role, at least for me, when I moved to Seattle. Um, you know, Seattle was known as, as being, you know, more uh, environmentally thoughtful, if you will, in the Pacific Northwest. Um, but the, the beautiful thing was, is there were people there doing really good work in the sports industry uh, at, in Vancouver with the Canucks, with the Seahawks and the Sounders, um, and with the Trailblazers in Portland. Um, and Paul Allen's companies owned um, the Sounders, the Seahawks, and the, Tim and, and the Trailblazers. And then I was in Seattle with the Mariners in, in, in Major League Baseball, and we reached out to the folks in Vancouver, and the Canucks are more than happy to engage. So it was... Um, a group of like-minded people, all from different leagues, um, all from the same geographical region, but all wanted to help each other 
um, you know, advance uh, sustainability and, and drive our businesses um, for financial reasons, uh, for responsibility reasons. Um, and, and that's really where we hatched the idea of forming the Green Sports Alliance, which uh, was 10 years ago now. Yeah, amazing. So, so the Green Sports Alliance, would, um, it had its roots in, in that, that regional body that came together first? Yes. Yeah. We, we had uh, Bonneville Environmental Foundation was part of that initial group. They're out of Portland. The Natural Resources Defense Council was instrumental in supporting us and providing us guidance uh, and a whole host of, of other organizations. We interacted with the EPA. Um, we reached out to the league offices. And, and interestingly, um, even back then, I don't think people were really talking about climate change and it certainly wasn't, it wasn't on the radar screen or if it was, it was kind of a taboo to bring it up. Um, but we got strong support from the league offices, from the NBA, from the NHL and from M MLB. Um, and so that was very, a very encouraging sign for us and something I think the environmental community looked at and said, wow, there, there's something here with the power that sports holds and to see leaders of these, these you know, significant businesses um, saying, yes, this is the right thing to do and, and we support it. Right. So fast forward to today and the Green Sports Alliance is uh, alive and kicking and flourishing. And how many members do you have now? You know, just about, just about every team in, in professional sports in North America is a member. Every league is a strong supporter. Uh, we have growing uh, collegiate membership, um, strong corporate support. Um, so we, we've, we've grown fairly, fairly significantly. You know, the first time we did a summit 10 years ago in Portland, uh, we did it with about two or three months planning and we had 70 people there and we thought, wow, we're onto something. The next year we had 150 people. The next year after that, we had 300 people. Um, and we have our annual summit, our 10th anniversary this year. Um, and we expect five to 600 people. Um, so it's a combination of, of venue operators, uh, team and league officials, corporate partners that we do business with, environmental um, groups. And it's, uh, it's always a, a great couple days to get together to share ideas, um, celebrate the good work that's being done. Um, and I think now, uh, you know, and if I look over 10 years, how the conversations evolved, it started out as mostly a business uh, from a business view. And, and I was very careful 10 years ago to talk about why we should do this from a business standpoint um, and, and knowing there was a, a bigger cause behind it. Um, but I've seen it evolve over 10 years where now um, the environmental cause and the social aspects of it are, are way more driving us way more than the financial side. Um, and it's clear that there's really, you know, three pillars, the financial, the social and the environmental. And, um, 10 years ago, we talked mostly about the financial, um, didn't really understand much about the social and we're afraid to talk about the environmental. And now that's all on the table. Uh, and, and there's a robust conversation and, and there, you don't have to convince anybody that climate change is real. Um, now the talk about it is uh, what are we doing and let's celebrate it, but how do we, how do we advance this quickly? Cause we all know we need to do it. Right. So, so what are the sort of things outside of the summit? What are the sort of things that the, the Alliance engages in? Uh, we have uh, a monthly webinar where we take a topic and invite our, our members to, to listen in. Um, we create playbooks and case studies um, to share um, with our members what, what individual teams, leagues, or venues are doing. Um, you know, and obviously we work closely with our corporate partners and our supply chain. 
to, to provide solutions. So we try to make it very practical. Um, and, and that's one piece of it kind of as a trade organization um, from an operational standpoint. But the piece that really seems to be more interesting is the social aspects of it now. Um, and, and obviously we, we talk quite openly about the environmental impacts and what's going on and, and the need to, uh, to respond in a much more aggressive way. And, and I think um, what we found you know, 10, 11 years ago talking about the Green Sports Alliance and what we, what we still find today is there's a tremendous amount of promise that sports holds to influence society uh, and, and, and be a leader and set a good example. Um, and I think now, you know, looking back over 10 years, um, now more than ever, we, we know that to be true, uh, but we're kind of sitting here saying, well, are we doing enough? And I think the answer mm. is no. Mm. Um, and so there's a bit of introspective uh, thinking going on and saying, how do we advance this more quickly? How do we make, move this up the priority list? Um, obviously, sports is a huge business. Teams are very valuable. There's a lot of money changing hands. We interact with a lot of people. Um, but I don't think making environmental changes uh, and being as responsible as we should be is, is as high a priority as it should be. Um, but hopefully with more and more people talking about the social aspects, uh, the impacts, and, and, and what we're doing and what the purpose behind it is, we start, we've got to start to, to tie together what can we do that impacts our community and I think that's one of the challenging things with, with climate change is it's not really here today that you see it, although, although you point to things and you go, yeah, that's a sign. Um, but in, in your daily life, are you getting up thinking about it? Are you seeing it in your community? Is it impacting you? And, and I think with the sustainable development goals um, that are out there, they're more built upon um, social aspects. And, and we know they all link back to climate change. Um, and, and there's things that we can do as businesses and leaders in our community to drive positive change within our community. And, and I think that's a connection we need to, to build strong, more strongly because uh, that's what gets people to act. Because right, um, right. it's, it's here, it affects me, and it's now. Right. Uh, and if it's not here, if it doesn't affect me, and if it's not now, then it, it, it falls on, on the wayside. So we've got to figure out how to do that better um, so we can advance this as an industry. Um. I know you know that I'm a great believer in collaboration and people getting more, more done together than they can alone. Do you, is, it, is it naive of me to dream that one day the big chunks of the sports industry will come together and collaborate around joint initiatives to, to kind of address the stuff that you're talking about and use yeah, the power most, of sport to really make a difference? Most definitely. I, I think it's happening. Um, and you see that through initiatives being driven by the United Nations. You see it being driven through initiatives to the International Olympic Committee. Um, you know, it's happening. Um, it's just not happening quickly enough and we haven't figured out, uh, cracked the code for how to really do it and, and do it well. Yeah. Um, but we, we need to commit more resources to it. We, we need to fund people who, who drive these things within our businesses. It's not enough to have somebody doing this, you know, on the side who's from operations or from, you know, community relations or, or, or comms, um, you know, we, we really need capacity within the system um, to, to um, deliver on the responsibility we have mm -hmm. and, then, and then to take advantage of the opportunities it creates. And, and obviously, um, you know, you get called out for greenwashing pretty quick if you're just driven on, on making money and making something look good. Um, but there is the financial aspects of it that make sense to conserve energy, to conserve water, to get more people taking public transit. Um, and so all those things, you know, a lot of those things can make sense in working with our corporate partners. We can drive engagement with our partners. 
we can create value for them and engagement with our associates and our fans. And so that kind of engagement uh, around something purposeful uh, is creating business value, um, but it's getting at, at the heart of, of doing good and doing things for purpose. So, so if it's obvious to people like you and I, Scott, why is sport not grabbing this opportunity by the scruff of the neck and making, <laughs> making the most of it? Yeah, I, I think that's a very good question. And, and some of it is, you know, we, we probably are a bit apprehensive to dip our toe in. Um, it is a little bit risky. Um, I don't think there's any risk in going out and doing things that, that make a positive difference in our community. Uh, at at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, we, you know, we recycle all our aluminum and take the value of the aluminum, donate it for Habitat for Humanity and build a house on the west side. Okay, now that's completely safe. And we're doing that with our, with our partner, Novellis. Um, we're not talking about climate change. Um, we're, we're promoting recycling and we're, we're, we're giving people a reason to recycle more than just saying, hey, it's good for the planet. We're saying, hey, let's all contribute to the well, well-being of our community and here's how we're doing it um, through this program we call Recycle for Good. So I, I think some of it is trying to figure, figure that out to crack the code to how to engage our corporate partners and activate it and message it with our, with our fans. Um, but there is a little, uh, I think, tendency to be a little careful about being too forward about, about you know, measuring carbon and, and being transparent to, to, to our impacts um, and, and, and making commitments to reducing impacts because uh, we're all going to be held accountable. And, and so there's, I think, some reluctance to being visible and to being very aggressive on it. And, and the UN um, Sport for Climate Initiative is, is something that's crafted to um, account for that for those teams and those leagues and those venues to, to track and make commitments to make improvements. And, and kudos to the teams like the New York Yankees that have signed up for that and the other teams um, because they've made a statement. And, and that's part of leadership. And, and you don't lead without taking some form of risk. Um, and so we, we've all got to be a little more bold and we all got to invest some more resources in, in our human capacity and our knowledge um, and, and then start to commit ourselves to, to have the kind of influence that we can have right. in this industry. So, so step one is, to, is for there to be leadership around believing that this can be a business value driver and good for everybody. And then step two is to empower the organization to act upon that vision. So I wonder, I wonder who will be the first team or league to appoint a chief purpose officer. <laughs> you know, uh, maybe somebody already has that and I wouldn't doubt if they do. Um, uh, you know, and some of that is around community relations and some of it is around marketing. Um, a lot of it's driven by ownership and the passion of ownership for certain causes that, that they're near and dear to their heart. Um, and so there's the opportunity to do it. Um, it needs to keep moving up the, the priority list and it needs resources and, and we've got to commit ourselves to doing this. And, and if we do, and we do it right, um, we will engage our associates and we will engage our fans and we'll engage our corporate partners. And, and, and all that is good, good things, uh, generates value, if you will. Um, and it helps solve a problem that we all need to get behind. Yep. Yep. So uh, watch, we'll watch the space with interest. I mean, it's, it's happened already in business. We've seen you know, organizations from the Unilevers and the Danones down to the Ben and Jerry's to really seeing that, that putting purpose at the center of their organizations is, has been good for their business. I mean, their businesses have grown uh, way beyond 
um, their competitors in the category who haven't done the same thing. So I hope, I hope there are lots of leaders listening to, or reading today, Scott, and we'll take, um, take that message to heart from you. And, so you and one thing, Neil, if I yeah. could add one thing about that. And one thing that I think I find very encouraging is I, I love the fact that, that the youth are starting to advocate and protest that we must take action um, because that voice is very, very strong uh, and it's growing. And, and those are the consumers of the next 60 to 80 years. Um, and, and if you're marketing your brand or you're trying to sell your products, um, your brand has certain attributes and, and you want to be on the right side of this. Um, and it's either going to create an opportunity or it's going to create a risk. And, and that's what I hope at the board level, people are starting to see this and realizing that business as usual is, is not going to be good for them. Yeah. Yeah. Spot on. Spot on. So just uh, want to change gear for a second now. You mentioned um, that great Recycle for Good program that you do at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. So let's talk about the stadium for a second if we can, because that was the impetus behind your move from Seattle to Atlanta, where you are now. Um, and that must have been an amazing project to work on. It, you know, it really was. And we had a great setup in, in Seattle. We lived on Mercer Island. I, I rode my bike to work every day. It was a half-hour bike ride to Seattle. I could go the other direction and be in Bellevue in about 15 minutes. It was a perfect place. We had three kids that were in school. Um, so it was a place we were going to be for a long time. But then when I heard and saw uh, what Arthur Blank was planning to do here in Atlanta, um, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I said, kids, we're moving. Um, Arthur, Arthur really is one of those enlightened leaders who understands purpose and, and puts his money where his mouth is and is committed to doing the right thing and making a difference in the community. And in this stadium, um, right from the beginning, it was clear that it was going to be uh, quite noteworthy. Um, and, and from an architectural standpoint, it's stunning. From a technology standpoint, it's cutting edge. From a food and beverage program, it's the best food and beverage program on all the sports, hands down. There's not anybody even close. Um, it's in the heart of Atlanta, uh, right on public transit. And when, we, when I talked to Arthur about what he wanted to do with the building, it was clear that sustainability was going to be one of those things, one of those many things that we were going to try to raise the bar on. And so um, when I joined the project, we were, we were looking like we were going to be LEED Gold certified, um, but, but we had the opportunity to, to reach a little higher. And so we committed during construction to, to get LEED Platinum certification. And just to get certified is 40 points to get to, to um, platinum is 80 and we ended up with 88. So we have the highest uh, point total of any sports facility. Um, and so that, that was quite noteworthy. Um, so we've got this stunning building that's Lee platinum certified. So we built it the right way. We're very energy efficient, very water efficient. We harvest rainwater and we use it for irrigation and for cooling tower makeup water. And that's important because we're in the Proctor Creek watershed, uh, which leads to the Chattahoochee River. And, and as Atlanta's grown up, there's been more impacts from storm surges. So, you know, being a good neighbor, uh, we wanted to try to capture um, that rainwater and, and reduce our contributions to storm events. So there's some cool um, tie-in to the city. Um, but yeah, it was, it was um, very fortunate to have the opportunity to come here and work on this project. Yeah. And so building a great stadium is one thing, but operating it is a completely different animal, isn't it? It, it is. And, and, and believe me, when I started in the sports world at the University of Wisconsin and we had, you know, 80,000 crazy Badger fans coming for a football game day, what, what gets left after the party is, is mind boggling. The amount of consumption, the amount of debris, 
thinking of all the transportation and that's that's probably one place where it really got started started planting a seed for me is wow look at that look at this mess um and so you know when we bring large people together it puts visibility on our daily consumption habits and it's not just sports that consumes a lot we do we do that everywhere in our life and we we tend to just walk away like it, it goes away magically because we're so efficient about making things go away but we know there is no away um, and we do know if we if we stop and start keeping track and, and open our eyes there are major impacts um, and so, um, you know, being energy efficient, being water efficient, that's built in inherently into the building. Um, there's 4,000 solar panels, so we've got a considerable amount of renewable energy. We've got lots of EV charging stations. We're, we're within a stone's throw of two public transit train stops. Um, so the building's got the right infrastructure, but we've got to operate it as environmentally efficiently as we can. So we're focused on energy conservation. We're focused on water. Um, we're focused on driving public transit use. Um, and, and right now, our big focus is to make Mercedes-Benz Stadium a zero-waste stadium. Um, and so um, we've made some real good progress in the last several months. In the first year of the building, we were pretty much staying alive, just trying to get one event in uh, and the next, and, and had a diversion rate of only 5%. Um, so we had some infrastructure. We had a program, but quite honestly, we couldn't dedicate enough time to, to do it and do it well. And, and we, you know, we climbed into the 30%, the year after that, the year after that, we were about 47%. Um, and now we are committed to uh, achieving a 90% diversion rate. And based on um, some early numbers that we have here in 2020, it looks like we're there. Um, we've had zero waste private events for the last year. Our suites were designed to be zero waste. We, we, we use cutlery and plates and glasses. So there's very little waste in our suites. Um, as I said, our private event business has been zero waste for a year, and now we're trying to expand that to the whole stadium. Um, and, and when you're trying to serve you know, 70,000 people, sometimes back to back, and think about all the inputs that come into the stadium, and we've got to refresh and, and clean and separate all the materials and, and, and get them where they need to go. Um, it's taken us some time to get, get where we are now, um, but I'm confident we're, go we're gonna hit that 90% diversion right here, and, and, and then that will be our standard going forward for right. any event. Right. And the thing that always impresses me when I come to the stadium is the, is the way I'm treated by the people that work there. I mean, they, they, all, they all buy into this 100%, don't they? You know, in, in this, Neil, this is the amazing part. Yes, um, we, we are known, and Arthur challenged me early on. He said, look, we're going to build this fantastic building and people are going to be amazed by it. But, what, but that's going to wear off uh, over time. And what they're going to remember is the way they felt by the way they were treated when they came here. Um, and so uh, as, as aggressive as we were of building the best building, we were that aggressive with the level of service you get. Um, and so that's really our hallmark. And, and that's the piece that when they come and visit the stadium, they don't say, wow, that video board's amazing, or I love the roof. They say, I can't believe how friendly people are. Um, and so that's nice to have attained that. But the thing that's amazing about the environmental piece um, and, 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 and really just surprised the heck out of me we, we just finished our dirt events for the year. We had two Monster Jam events and a Supercross event. And then we had our first uh, Atlanta United home opener event with 70,000 fans in the building. And after the, the two Monster Jam events, we had about 80,000 people come through the building on two nights. And we, we survey our, our guests after every event. Um, so we monitor how, how we're delivering service from every attribute you can imagine. And we added uh, to a couple questions about our zero waste initiative because we wanted to gauge how people would react to it. And, and we're in the midst of 
adding containers, adding signage, adding digital messages. But for the Monster Jam, we hadn't even gotten to the messaging yet. So we, we pretty much had status quo signage, really almost no additional messaging. And the question on the survey form I don't know how much of that you got. Did you get, did I get your numbers? No, you just said we just okay. did the survey. That's okay, so, so I'll back, I'll back up to there. Yeah. So 80,000 people over two nights for Monster Jam and 88% of the people said that our zero waste program was, was of some importance to them, either somewhat important or very important. 56% of the people said it was likely to influence how they recycled at home. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, and, so that, and, then we did, and then we did that with United the first opening match for United, and we had a 99% response that said our zero waste program was somewhat or very important to our fans. That's so th those numbers are stunning. Yeah, so if that's, not, if that's not reason enough from a business perspective to do this stuff, then I don't know what is. If the fans, well, yeah, fans want it. They want it and, and they crave it. And, and again, we've come so far from it not even being on people's agenda to it being somewhat controversial, and I'm speaking more about climate change. Um, but there's been so much um, attention paid to it now that a vast, vast majority of people will, are, will respond positively to this, which gets back to the comment I made earlier about it. this is either an opportunity or a threat. Um, and, and if we realize where the marketplace is going, where the needs of society are going, we've got to, we've got to act on this and it's an opportunity. And, and for those folks that are stuck and mired in business as usual, I say watch out because it's going to be a big threat. Well, that's a great place to end. Scott, thank you so much. Thank you for everything you do. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Scott Jenkins does next. <laughs> Thanks, Neil, and appreciate what you do. Keep up the great work. We hope that you've enjoyed listening to this edition of Legacy Sport Live, the companion podcast series to our new book, Legacy Sport, how to win at the business of sport in the age of social good. Please visit our website at www.legacysport.org to order your copy of the book and join our growing community of sports business professionals committed to doing good while doing well through sport. <laughs>